a beautiful day and you're a beautiful princess. Hey, you're stealing my thunder. Before we started recording, I was singing. That's um, true. You and were. <laughs> love to you. That's true. That's probably why I was inspired to sing back to you. I love that. I love just to break out in song for no reason. Oh, it's the best. I, I feel bad for my future children already because everything is going to get sung to them. <laughs> if it's anything like my dogs. I'm like, it's time for so food. Nice. Oh, no. speaking of which. Shout yeah. out to, oh my God, I wish I knew her name right now. Shout out to the Brain Candy Brainiac who was listening to us and uh, the song that I, that we sing for Sigmund and Bo when we would take them to Camp Opie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was inspired by the lyrics and threw a birthday party for her golden retriever, who is adorable, by the way. And she made little treat bags for all of the dogs who came to the birthday party. And yeah. on the bag was a little card that said, Sniffing butts and meat and mutts. <laughs> Is that not the cutest thing you've ever heard or ever seen in your whole life? I forgot that that was a lyric. Can you right? sing it again? I was like, that is so cute. She said it. You need to refresh our listeners' memory of that song. Hit oh, it. oh, how uh, sniffing, sniffing butts <laughs> and meat and mutts. We're having a good, a good time, time at Splash. At- <laughs> Except splash. we don't go to Splash anymore. That's right. I love that it's called Splash. Her name's Digital Red X. Shout out to Digital Red X. And her golden retriever, Juniper Beatrice. Wow, so formal. Oh, and you should see the photo of this dog looking not too happy about her birthday hat is probably the cutest darn thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Look. Oh my. (laughs) That's so cute. I love it. Oh god, it's so precious. We have the best listeners. I know. And like I Landon was so happy that he inspired a uh and you like I oh it's so great. We'll have to repost that for her. Landon does have a gift for creative limericks oh, and no joke. I mean yeah. we have him to thank for the title of our podcast. I know. I think he was about like, it what a about lot. brain candy? Is that taken? I was like, No, it's not. It was perfect. Like, you need something that's like brainy, but also like, it's like candy. Sweet. <laughs> it's like, what about breaking? I love uh, how we're reminiscing about the genesis of yes, brain candy or- today. Brain candy origins. On episode 307. Yes. It's so good to be here with you. Oh, so good. Suze. Um, yes. So speaking of, you know, episodes that mm-hmm. we have done. Uh, remember back to our BDE episodes, of course. Where, as you know, we often mention uh, Pete Davidson, yes, and his big Add swing it again. and thing. No joke, <laughs> Kate Beckinsale. I know what. I I I think that it, it's beyond just a big dick. It's got to be. That's what I mean. I said this morning. I opened up my my news and I saw that, and I was like, Landon. He's with Kate Beckinsale, and, he, and Landon's like, I know. And I was like, what, what is he, what's the deal? I he, think he has it all. Man. Because he's funny. Yeah. And he is cute, although he, like, makes himself look less cute on purpose, weirdly. Yeah. I don't get that scene. I don't know. Given that I'm working hours a day to prevent <laughs> looking like garbage. Oh my gosh! Maybe he's like, I, I mean, they'll they'll be fawning over me. I got to do something to make myself <laughs> less attractive. All the women I mean, want me, and it's he's not working. Twenty-five. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was so young. Yeah, that's a good point. And she's like, 40s? she's forty-five. Good for her. Yeah, she's getting that young dick. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
after it, girl. I'm not really into <laughs> young dick myself, but I respect a woman I've who I've never is. had it. No, that's not for me. I know. Even when I was young, I didn't have young dick. Here's the deal. I, me neither. I'm not in the right. mood to teach anybody anything. <laughs> I'm not in the mood. <laughs> like, do that's your so own funny. homework. I'm not ready. Like I, I, I provide psychoeducation pretty much all hours of the day for anybody who cares yeah. to listen, and even people who don't. And uh, so that's the one place where I don't want to be. I don't want to be given any lessons. Yeah, we're booked solid over here. Jeez. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait. So, I unless you had more to say about Kate Beckinsale, no. I have to talk about this and you're going to be like this is ridiculous and we need a time machine to help Susie get her life together but um you know how I grew up in a fundamentalist home and mm-hmm. so we I missed out on years of pop culture and only when I got older did I kind of like try to catch up oh. on you know everything I missed during like the 80s when normal kids would be like learning about life and I was just like singing Jesus <laughs> having songs. Halloween parties <laughs> yeah and I was at the harvest party right. learning about how the world is going to end any minute. Um, <laughs> and so as a result, I haven't seen a lot of the movies that you people idolize. Oh, I can't and wait I, for this. <laughs> I saw one on Friday last week that like blew my mind. And it's so embarrassing because you've all seen it what? and told me it's great. But I always thought, how good could it be? Oh, Karate Kid is fantastic. Oh, Karate Kid. <laughs> Suze, you have to you have to send a text message to Kenny Santucci. Oh my god, I thought of him the whole time. It's his favorite movie of all time. Well, he is Ralph Macchio. I know. I didn't know it was his favorite movie. Well, actually, I don't really even funny. know that, but I'm I'm like ninety nine percent sure it is. <laughs> Either that, Why or he you just tell is me Ralph how Macchio. good it is. Well, I, I I don't know. I just you know what that makes me think that I have maybe forgotten how good it is because I haven't seen it since I was much younger. Okay, I think and maybe you, might you like want to watch it through a different set of eyes as an adult. You know, well, I I thought it was really um, like I was on the edge of my seat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, sweep the leg, sweep the leg, Johnny. <laughs> I just felt like he was ri- like. I think I'm glad I waited until I was a mom too, because I was like imagining that it was my son getting beat up. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, is he okay? <laughs> Sarah, I'm serious. Suze, what other movies have you not seen? Okay, I have not seen. Have you seen The Princess Bride? I, I've probably seen parts of it. No, that was too, it took you too long to answer. You need to see that. Okay, Jaws. Oh, that's an amazing movie. But be prepared to, to be scared even in swimming pools. <laughs> Footloose. Oh my! <laughs> now I'm actually upset. No, no, Suze, that's the best one. I've oh heard my it's God. so good. I'm ready to dance right now, thinking about it. <laughs> Not gotta cut. Oh my God! And the soundtrack is so good, and Sarah Jessica Parker's in it. <sighs> yeah, I've heard good things oh. for thirty years. And Suze, it all is. A, it's about a fundamentalist, like Baptist, can't dance family who's like, nope, no fun, no dancing. Definitely you see having the irony harvest here, parties. Right? Yeah, okay. I was living Footloose. I didn't need to see it. Yeah, but you you need to. Now I do. I'm going to oh, make a whole list. I can't. If you thought the Karate Kid was good, I cannot <laughs> wait till you watch oh, Footloose. Oh, this will blow be your mind. Me. Woo. I haven't seen Dirty Dancing. Oh my God! <laughs> Is 
is like, okay, that is a back-to-back one. Well, this is an evening now. Cancel our plans. Clear the schedule. We're watching movies. And like, you know how when you tell someone you haven't seen a film that everyone's seen, they all react like you're you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's almost like this pushback of like, how good could it be? Get, uh, it's not that good. This is my argument is. for steak at restaurants. <laughs> yeah, you're wrong too about that. <laughs> or I'm like, well, All now right, it's well, been so long, I just don't do it because what? How good could it be? Exactly. <laughs> well, on behalf of the Karate Kid, steak is fantastic <laughs> at restaurants. So funny. So oh, I need like God. Brainiacs to make like a list. Yes. Of all these films that I need to see. Absolutely. And I bet I haven't seen a lot of them on there too. Um, yeah. I remember, you know, it's funny with Dirty Dancing and I react like that only because <laughs> I also waited a million years to see that. I remember yeah. the night I watched Dirty Dancing for the very first time. Let me tell you the story. So okay. Landon and I had just, well, okay. So Landon and I were together for like two years and then uh, we decided to move in together and that lasted for all of about two months before I was like, I do not like this. I want my own place back. And so I decided to move out. And so I got myself an apartment and I was like in the process of moving. And then we like we ended up breaking up. And he was like, yeah. you know, this blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, me moving out, pretty much the first step towards us breaking up. And uh, don't worry, guys. We're together today. Happy We're ending. married. <laughs> yeah, happy ending. <laughs> so, spoiler alert. Uh, but... Okay, so he breaks up with me. We break up, whatevs. Uh, and I like have my apartment, but there's no electricity turned on, no nothing. And I was like so upset that night. I was like, I'm leaving. So I gather all my stuff in trash bags. I have all my clothes in trash bags. I think I left everything else there. Go oh to my, my new God. apartment with no electricity, no anything turned on yet. And... So the only thing I could think to do is like, okay, well, I'll just charge my computer enough and I'll download a movie and I'll just watch a movie. So I go to a coffee shop that offers free Wi-Fi. I download Dirty Dancing because I had never seen it before. And I go back to my apartment that has no lights or anything. I make a bed out of the trash bags of clothes that I have. I set up the, the, the show and I watched Dirty Dancing in candlelight, sleeping on bags of clothes, and bawled my freaking eyes out. You because did? I, it was, yes, because, oh my God, it's so good. Don't and tell And also, me. I had just been broken up with, Suze. I was heartbroken. Oh, and it was yeah. like the perfect movie to watch for that. Oh my God. It was great. It was, it was actually a lovely evening. <laughs> Looking, back. <laughs> Looking back. Looking back, but it was, it was, it was, oh my God. I, I remember that night like it was yesterday. Just me sleeping on piles of, because uh, oh, I'm like, Sarah. I am not staying there. I'm an independent woman. I don't need anyone. Uh, <laughs> Which now uh, I realize be- is not the right attitude to have. And it's important Maybe to have other what people you take needed care of you. In your new apartment, though, was some new sheets from Brooklinen. Then I wouldn't have had to sleep on bags of trash. Yeah, you would have trash. been comfortable. I mean, it wasn't trash. It was my clothes. But, you know. <laughs> if you have uh, an apartment or you just want an upgrade on your sheets and bedding, Brooklinen is the perfect option. You can go online and you skip the middleman. And so you get these luxury five-star hotel sheets, you know, the ones that you don't ever want to get out of, but for a fraction of the price. And... They have a million five-star reviews, so you don't have to take my word for it. And you can mix and match patterns. You can buy them like separate, so you don't have to buy that whole set. Um, Brooklyn and sheets are so soft, and they get softer the more you wash them too. 
Um, I just got a new set for my son's bed. He loves them. Our Brooklinen sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets we've ever slept on. And now it's the time for you to get an upgrade. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order and free shipping when you use promo code BRAIN at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The only way to get 10% off your first order and free shipping is to use promo code BRAIN at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code BRAIN. They're the best sheets ever. I could use some new towels, come to think of it. I could use some new sheets, to come to think of it. Really? Yeah. What are you waiting for? I don't know. I should get some. Are you one of those people that does, like, different colors of bedding for, like, the different time of year? Yeah, but I only have two sets, and one of them's getting a little... Well, since we started letting the dogs on the bed... (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'm all for that. Me too. Oh my god. I know I shouldn't say that. People get mad. I love it. Why why do people get mad? I don't know, but people have really strong opinions about children and pets in beds. Well, I mean, I can sort of understand the children one because at, at a certain age, but then that's a cultural thing too because some people stay have their kids in bed till they're, you know, old. The only thing is it it affects the marital relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you never get alone time in there. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. But like I'm always glad when Lincoln wants to snuggle. Yeah, who wouldn't be? Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I'm like, please snuggle me. What's that chemical that gets released when you get hugged? Uh, Oxytocin. Yeah, man. I love that Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. So (laughs) good. It Um, also happens when you pet dogs. So we're both getting it. Really? Yep. What about cats? Oh, good question. Probably. That is Googleable. I'm going to need to look that up. <laughs> Google. Oh, my gosh. We'll allow Those it. Petting cats. Yeah. While you look anyway. that up, I have a question for you. Yes. Okay. There was a um, little video clip that kind of resurfaced the other day, and it was of Maya Angelou. And um, she was, gosh. I forget what talk show she was on, but one of the audience members stood up and said, I have a question. Mm-hmm. I was wondering what Maya would say about such and such. And Maya was like, first of all, darling, you need to call me Miss Maya. <gasps> I am, you know, 60 whatever and you're mm-hmm. a young mm-hmm. thing and mm-hmm. you haven't earned the right to whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of went viral and people were debating whether this is like cool to do or not. And I wanted to know what your opinion is. I kind of like that. I think... You, I think- that's important. And I think especially, you know, it would make sense. Like if I, was the woman white? Um, I don't think so, actually. Oh, okay. She was sort of culturally ambiguous or ethnically okay. ambiguous. Well, I mean, I, could, I can just imagine that if you're an individual who has not received the respect that any human being should get throughout your life because of mm-hmm. you name it. Yeah. a million different things, Yeah, then I think it's it's important to fight back in, you know, it's like anything. You almost have to go to the extreme to just get what is deserved. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Like when I first heard it, I bristled and was like, oh, geez, because I always hated when like, Bill Cosby would insist on making people call him Dr. Cosby, even though it's an honorary doctorate. And um, 
And she did the same thing. And I had read articles where they were like, she, you know, she has earned the right to be known as Dr. Angelou, even if it's an honorary doctorate and you need to stop like questioning like women of color in particular. Um, so I get what you're saying along yeah. those lines, right? Yeah. And I think it's setting a good example for, um, you know, I, I, I think less about the person, like her teaching a lesson to the person who's talking and more to the people who are watching, who are younger, and then look at her and go, you know what? I deserve that kind of respect too. And mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure that people, you know, because the, the, it's kind of like saying people will only respect you as much as you respect yourself. And if you, or whatever it is, people only love you as much as you love yourself. And I think demanding, you know, like, especially for somebody who has probably not, for many years probably did not receive any sort of respect or, or, you know, just was, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Marginalized. Yes. Thank you. That is exactly the word I was looking for. Then, then that's deserving. And and we should show respect like that. So, you know, yeah. I, I am always, I always um, tend to get over casual. In fact, the, the more formal something is, the more casual I become. It's almost like this weird mm. defense mechanism. And maybe it's like so, the attention breaker. Like you're looking to absolutely make people more comfortable. Yeah, like I hate formality. I hate being uptight. And so when she responds that way, my instinct is to be like, okay, calm down. But mm. That's because I'm not considering all the things you're talking about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. make her need to do that. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you're told how we feel about guys saying you need to smile. And Ugh. like one minute, you know, you will fight back. Yeah. Like, here's why I don't, you know, go into this whole lecture on it. Yeah, good point. And because we felt like that somebody else who's telling mm-hmm. us, how we should feel about ourselves, what we should be like. And, and in a way, it's kind of like those, probably those similar feelings. That is like, such a I'm good point. I'm not going to let somebody talk to me this way. No, I decide. And you respect me. Right. Would you ever do that though? What? Tell somebody? Like, yeah. If kind I kind of <sighs> correct them well, publicly? It, it would depend on what the subject is because if it were a subject that like I don't have any experience being marginalized in that same way, mm-hmm. but I do have experience in people being insensitive to maybe issues regarding sexual abuse. So I think when things mm-hmm. like that happen, I am quick to correct somebody because yeah, that's something okay. I care about, something that affects me on like a deeper emotional level. And so if somebody said... Or something like, well, what is it like for you to be a victim of da 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 da? And I'd be like, excuse me, I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. Yeah. And so that is where I would chime in. And I would probably, you know, depending on how the conversation went before, might, you know, you never know how she was treated in the green room. You never know what happened to her earlier that day. And maybe she had, you know, received like five times where somebody like didn't recognize who she was and, and you know, was gave her like, you know, those subtle racist kind of microaggressions, microaggressions. Yeah. She maybe received that, you know, all morning and then she's out here and then somebody's like that. And she's like, you know what? I'm come on. Cause she's okay, a person. Let me, ask, let me ask you this though. Is it the context that makes it 
that that's okay in that if it were a white man, we would be like, uh, he needs to calm down. If he had said that to a woman, uh, that asked the calm down. Okay. 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 So it's the context. We get it. it. You're, you're, you have power. Like what (laughs) this is, is this is a woman saying, I have, I have not had access to it and I deserve that. And so you're going to treat me to that. Like, oh, okay. I like it. I feel like we made progress on that topic. I think so too. And look at how open-minded my co-host Susie is. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I totally am. Like, yes. And I try to be really honest on the show about ways, blind spots that I've had so that, you know, people see that we're, we're all works in progress here. Like I'm trying Everyone to get better. Everyone is. Yeah. Oh, the, and every year there's something new where I was like, oh, well, that is that definitely wrong. insensitive. Yep. <laughs> definitely got that wrong. Like, gosh, <sighs> Sarah, just watching, I've been watching Golden Girls again. My Ooh, God, that show is it. so wrong though. Like, cause it was a different time <laughs> and they say a lot of inappropriate jokes about like Jewish people and, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that was a progressive show at its time. Yep. But yeah. times change and you got to roll with the punches. I thought the same thing about Will and Grace. I was like, yeah. ooh, yeah, can't say that now. That was well, not allowed. <laughs> and a lot of fat jokes, a lot of jokes about a weight. Lot. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, that mm-hmm. is totally like. Well, this reminds me, though, that we had a conversation early on when we first started this show about fatbergs. Do you remember that? The piles of sewage that are like made up of baby oh, yes. wipes and all that yes. stuff. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so I need to give you an update on that because I think it's so, we've been on the air so long that like I can actually update you like years oh later God. on something that That's we crazy. talked about. Yes. Um, I will also update you on the fact that everybody should be wearing a bra that fits correctly and most of yes, you please. aren't. That's so. absolutely true. <laughs> Sarah, I know this from experience. 32D <laughs> over here, baby. Third Love has a Fit Finder on their website. It's a Fit Finder quiz. So you just answer the questions and they have bras that are designed with breast size and shape in mind that's perfect for everyone. They have more than 70 sizes of bras, way more than the other brands. And you can skip the trip to the mall or wherever you would normally buy stuff and just order online. Um, They have a 100% fit guarantee. So you have 60 days to wear it and wash it and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you can return it and they'll wash it and donate it to a woman in need. And returns are free and they're easy. And the clothing and the Bras are very comfortable and soft, and you'll love them. Third Love knows there's a bra for everyone that's perfect. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash brain now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash brain for 15% off today. And I have to say, I will never buy another bra. They are my go-to now and the only ones that I wear. Love it. Um, Yeah. So what I want to tell you about Fatbergs <laughs> is that, remember when we talked about it originally, this was like in episode five or something. I was like, if it says flushable, I'm flushing it. Because a lot yes. of these wipes say they're I remember. flushable. Well, after I heard from listeners after that episode aired, they were like, please don't. Like the Fatberg mm-hmm. exists and it's terrible. And so I don't do it anymore. Good. And I was just looking because on Twitter, the Fatberg was trending again. And for me, this is not an issue. I mean, of course, we can educate consumers and they can do what I did where they're like, oh, you're not supposed to flush them, then I won't. But we also need to 
like do something about the fact that these companies put that they're flushable when they're not. Yeah, it's just like the beads that are in the yeah, you know the the face micro wash. beads and stuff like that that are like killing fish. Well, so why doesn't this crap get done well, and legislated? The, yeah, that's the, that's that's what needs to happen. Like big toilet is being <laughs> manipulating <laughs> the system. Boo. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me mad. It, I, you should be mad. These are the kind of things like we have to, you know, it starts with the plastic bags and, you know, now we got to, I don't know where to start with this stuff, but <laughs> this I know I'm going to sign, I'm going to sign whatever, whatever I'm going to vote for it against it. Yeah. But, but you like, know. I just feel like this is one example of like a million ways that we feel helpless. Well, this is what, why we need people who are in politics and who are like, because I honestly don't know what the next step is. Yeah. But somebody does. Right. And like people it, have it, to it, care more about the things that make us outraged, like the fatbergs, than about money in our, their pocket. Yeah. All right. Well, you know? I'll write my senator. Yeah. Call your Who's local your, congressperson. I do love my local congressperson. His name is Ted Liu, and oh he's God, so awesome. So great. He's adorable, and he follows me on Twitter. And I, do, it's everything I can do to like not DM him and be like, what? "I love you. Thanks for being you, amazing." Which, as should. Sarah knows, is my signature move. You should do that. I know I should. And then you should You're be right. like, and also, how about them fat burks? <laughs> what are we gonna do about that, buddy? Well, you know what? It's weird. It's almost like. When you know that your congressperson agrees with you, mm, mm-hmm. it almost encourages passivity. Oh, uh, I know what you mean. Because you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're already taking care of that. That's kind of how I felt, ooh, that's how I <laughs> felt with the, uh, you know, the election yeah. and living in California. I was like, well, right. what, what can I do? Everybody, we know how people are going to vote, but then, ugh. <laughs> Things went a different way. Yeah. But it wasn't California's you know right thing right but still but important it speaks to what you're saying what we're saying though it's how like if you know that your state represents your views then you almost feel like okay i'm all set mm-hmm. mm. and so it can be uh encourage like i said passivity or just apathy or whatever well that's why the that's why you have to care about local politics amen that is where it's really really important because you can think oh well you know california yeah but yes. i was living in Orange County, where right. just until this year, <laughs> right. Dana Rohrbacher, who was like a fuckhead, <laughs> sorry, Linda, but actually not, <laughs> sorry. And uh, he's now, you know, out yeah. because people started, you know, going, oh God, I think I do need to vote for that. I think it does matter here. Because yeah. they're the ones, the local ones are the ones who are going to affect like those, you know, policy changes and things like that in your area. Yes. Good reminders. Yes, please, please do your research. Oh, God, so important. Can we talk about how? um, Have you read at all? I'm sure you saw that Andy Cohen has a son now. You saw that? Yeah, yeah. And he did a post or two about how he's tired of being shamed already, like dad shamed. Like he'll post a picture and his dog will be in it and his baby, and they'll be like, your dog's too close to your baby. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And so, like, I saw the New York Times did a uh, an article about it, and I saw a lot of people covering this, and I thought, oh, okay, so now as soon as there's uh-huh. a yes, yeah, single I dad, 
then everyone's like, well, stop being mean and dad shaming him. Meanwhile, every mom in, on social media knows what this is like. Yeah, for anything. Doesn't matter. What, yeah. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, unsolicited opinions. I tagged you in a post recently about unsolicited opinions or sent it to you. Oh my about, gosh, you did? Yeah, I sent it to you on Instagram about like why everybody should just can it. <laughs> right, and they yeah. should. But I mean, it was said much more eloquently and, and nicely. And, and so basically... Well, it, like, and that is the thing. Like, why are you people... I don't know who it is. Certainly not our listeners. But some people, why are they even commenting? You know, I think about when... And this is, once again, where Sarah, me, was like, yeah. oh, I got that wrong. But And I apologize later. But um, when Cheyenne had her baby, she yeah. took this adorable picture where there was like her baby sleeping in the crib and, you know, then the stuffed animal in there. And I was like... Like right after I had my miscarriage and like all my mm. motherly instincts were like, send this message. It says, make sure you take the stuffed animal out of there. And then mm. afterwards I was like, that was, you know, not Was needed. it a comment or a private yeah, a comment, message? Or? A comment. Okay. And then like after, uh, I think I deleted it or underneath I wrote like, you're doing everything right. Like don't listen to me or something like that. But, yeah. you know, I realized that afterwards that I was like, oh, that was not. You didn't need to say that. And she knows. And for goodness sakes, like, let the person mother their own child. And, you know, but I know I could I could tell where it was coming from, you know. Okay. It was like so you, this it was just panic good intentions. inside me. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, my God, I just lost a baby. So I need, I want to make sure every other one stays healthy and living and, you know, all that. And But, you know, it was just – it was more my – Need mm-hmm. my feeling out of control, and then they're by trying to be feeling, try to feel in control by doing something like that. And so, if you look at like where those comments come from, it speaks way more about the person who's making the comment than it does about the recipient. Yeah, it's true. I just yeah. don't think like the New York Times would write an article <sighs> if um, Chrissy Teigen were You're being so right. mommy explained. Because she does. She is. Guaranteed she is. Mm -hmm. A hundred percent. Oh, God. That is such. That is so frustrating. Like, I think it's good that they're bringing attention to it in general. But like, come on, man. Yeah. Mm, Gosh. But I do get annoyed when people comment stuff like that. Because it's, uh, I hear about this in the fat phobic arena where people pretend like, I'm just worried about your health. Right. And so they'll make comments about somebody's body. And it's like, mm, I don't think that's actually. <laughs> right. What and well, you're and doing also, it. we can say the same thing the same reason that I made that comment that was um, uh, uh, unnecessary is, mm. you know, maybe that person is feeling out of control about their own yeah. weight loss journey or their own relationship with food. So they are going to project by commenting on somebody else's or they're going to try to feel better about their own you know, struggles by commenting on somebody else's. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was interesting. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it really is uh, uh, that good old uh, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. <laughs> I know, that's so hard though. Or I like, I know you are, but what am I? Or whatever those th- one of those things. It, it works. I'll tell you what else works. My Quip toothbrush. Oh, Sue's. As soon as Landon walked in the door from his trip, I was like, what'd you think of your toothbrush? (laughs) (laughs) What did he think? He loved it. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's the best toothbrush. It's such a convenient option. I mean, come on, we've been telling you for so long. These are basically electric toothbrushes, but they're super sleek, like an actual normal toothbrush, and even prettier. And they yep. mount to your mirror. They have this mount that then you can use as a cap if you are traveling, like Landon to Asia. And um, also, the brush heads are automatically delivered um, every three months for just five bucks. And it's just so nice and convenient and does a great job brushing. It pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides. Mm-hmm. My son loves it. I really recommend it for kids. Like, you know how you have those ugly ones with like mm-hmm. superheroes? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, we're not doing that. Um, that's why we love Quip and why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. And if you get go to get quip.com slash brain candy right now you get your first refill pack for free with a quip electric toothbrush that's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash brain candy love the deal um okay i I do love changing that brush head and brushing the dirty part with the brush it's great i love it it's what you know how you just said like when you commented it was because you wanted to be in control Mm mm-hmm or feel in control. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel about tasks like that, like cleaning out my toothbrush yeah. head. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Or it helps me feel in control. Yeah, the world is chaotic, but at least my yes. toothbrush is clean. That's how I feel about organizing every drawer, labeling yes. things. Ah, oh, it's fabulous. And those small victories make a big difference, I think, in your life. My mom always used to say, "Your li- life is so daily. And I never really knew what she meant, but it's about how like a lot of what we do is so repetitive but if you can make it pleasurable, it's yes. really nice. It's a good lesson. Yeah. That's why having, you know, with something that you use every day, yeah, a toothbrush, bed sheets, yeah. you know, a water a bottle, bra. a bra, like make it nice because that is part of self-care. I was watching um, uh, uh, just a clip of Marie, how do you say her last name? Condo? Condo? Yeah, condo. Condo. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was talking about her morning routine and how you know she likes to have some tea in the morning. Mm-hmm. And you know, here I am drinking my coffee in like whatever the hell mug is you yeah. know available, and who, I'm just like I'm not mindful about it at all. Sure. And she's like sitting down at the table, and it's in a tea pretty teapot and with a pretty glass and a little saucer and she's like enjoying the moment and I don't do nearly enough of that. In fact, I was driving the other day and I was like, I got this apple, I washed the apple, I then proceeded to eat the apple as I was driving, like thinking about a million other things. This was chewing and I'm like, what the hell? I ate the sticker. You didn't. And I realized that I washed the apple with the sticker started eating half the apple and then still didn't realize the sticker was on there. I'm like, man, if this isn't a lesson that I need some mind- mindfulness in my eating, I don't know yeah. what is because I'm eating the wrapper. <laughs> I'm not even paying attention. I think the other day I bit into the, the foil wrapping on like a Chipotle burrito Aww. too. And I'm like, Sarah, you need to slow down. You need to be mindful and enjoy these things because your life is, is fl- going by. Yeah. You know? That's hard to do. Make the routine, make the daily routine a little more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're so right. It's that the simple pleasures that you can quickly rush through. If you don't and take the time, it will improve your quality of life. Yeah. I mean, that's really it. It's just little, you know, five minutes of mindfulness. And 
really five minutes of me drinking my coffee in the morning in like a nice mug sitting down in a comfy area of my house just peaceful without like looking at my schedule or scrolling through Instagram or you know checking Amazon or whatever it is that is that five minutes without that will significantly improve the rest of your day but like we talk about this a lot and I know a lot of people do so why do you think it's so hard oh okay I think it's this um what do they call it like a hedonic treadmill is the, mm. the term for it where we want to do things that feel good. And so we get stuck in this loop of doing things that feel good, but only for a little while. Um, yeah. Let me see what the, what the real definition of it is. Because basically like everything that... It's, it's like... We have two options, you know, and this is like something that I talk to myself about and clients all the time. And it's like you can invest. It's kind of like in in putting money in the bank, you know. You don't just Mm -hmm. like wake up one morning after putting, you know, a little bit in there and there's a bunch of money in there. It's like slow investments over time, you know, and it's the same thing where we're enjoyable activities. We want a quick payout. We want something that's going to feel real good, real fast. But most of the stuff that feels real good, real fast does not sustain us long term. And it's Mm -hmm. a quick high followed by a quick low. And it's like, you know, what, despite like, really positive things or really negative things, we all kind of return back to this state right in the middle. And the trick is to find these things that don't create such big shifts, big highs or big lows, more like steadiness. Mm. And Right, but that's not as appealing to the brain. Right. It's mm-hmm. not as appealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. Our brains are working against us. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like I have to find out what the real definition about of of that hedonic treadmill is. I love that phrase. Yeah, I want to get on a hedonic treadmill. (laughs) That sounds so fun. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, hold on. I had something I wanted to ask you. Mm. Oh, I had read um this article about. I didn't even, I never thought about this, but like Ikea had put out in a catalog in Israel that showed, you know, ultra Orthodox people in their homes, you know, with their Ikea crap. And there were no women in the catalog because, you know, it's like awkward when you have extreme um, ultra Orthodox traditions, oh, you know, interesting. But, they got sued by a women's group because it was like women are allowed in houses. In fact, they kind of like <laughs> run the show. <laughs> and so, and girls, there were no girls either. It was just little boys and dads. And um, they got in trouble for that. Yeah. And I thought that was a really weird thing. Like, I know IKEA has to sell their chairs and stuff. And I guess I never thought about how they handle cultural situations like that. But apparently they don't handle it well because they're in yeah. hot water about it. Except they were the first ones to do uh, like oh, gay Oh, yeah, couples. gay people. Yeah. Maybe so, just in certain cultures though. Maybe that they're really trying to cater to whatever the local market is, whether that be 
either side yeah. of the the you know yeah spectrum. The article was saying though how you know women in Israel that live in these communities aren't represented in any of the advertising, and so it's really difficult to be somebody who is erased mm. from yeah. The, you know when we say representation matters. Yes. It's like this is an extreme example where you're just erased altogether. I was it's talking odd. to my aunt about this, about uh, she was going to a women's group and she was like, well, I've never gone to one of these. What do you think we should talk about? It's all women who are like my age or a little bit older. I said, how about talk about visibility in the media and visibility yes. and all that? Because what does it feel like to be an older woman and not be represented anywhere? And yes. she was like, oh my God, that is a thing. I do feel like that. And I was like, talk about that. That'll give you two hours, if not more of material. There you go. <laughs> It's true. And you probably get used to it, but then when someone calls your attention to you, you're like, this is BS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to real quick go back yes, to yes, answer yes, the yes, question, yes, what yes. is the hedonic treadmill? Yes. It's the tendency of a person to remain at a relatively stable level of happiness despite a change in fortune or achievement of major goals. So basically, as a person makes more money, expectations and desires rise in tandem, which result in no per- permanent gain of happiness. So we're all, we all have basically a set point. So it doesn't really fit the, what I was talking about. But in a little way, a little bit, it's important to know that we all kind of have this set level of happiness and it doesn't matter what we do, what we achieve or what we lose. We all kind of return to that, that set point. Really? Yeah. It's like regress to the mean, but yes. as a human. Good and bad fortunes may temporarily affect how a person is, but most people will end up back at their normal level of happiness. Dang. So maybe that's what we try to do. We try to do these quick fixes to somehow change that level of happiness. And we think, but I do think that those big changes, whether it's big gain, like a big, all of a sudden you get a bunch of money or all of a sudden you lose a job or whatever, (laughs) you know, those big changes maybe make us return to our love, stable level of happiness, but small changes over time could adjust that happiness. Right. Like being more mindful. Yes, or finding that's joy right. in the little things. Or because we know the things that do improve happiness are those acts of kindness towards others, practicing gratitude. Um, and there are a few more, but uh, uh, envisioning your best future self. And I can't remember what the last one is. I think there are four. But anywho, so that's my, that's, I'm trying to wow. tie in my, my, the term I used. One so. thing that I've really bought into, like in terms of what can add joy to your life is that um, idea that you should invest in experiences, not stuff. Yes. <clears throat> so like we've been doing more traveling and like, well, you know, I went to see Billy Joel and um, even little stuff like just around our local area of like, we're going to go do something active today. As soon as I saw you go rock climbing the other day. Yeah. Get after it, girl. (laughs) You look great. Yeah. And it was so fun and it was something different and it just felt way more memorable than whatever you would normally do with your Saturday afternoon. That's so great. Yeah. And you connected as a family. Yeah. And Lincoln loves it, and he's you know very active, has a lot of energy, and so those types of things are really important. But they're important for everybody, and sometimes it feels like oh, I don't feel like doing it, but you know, you're happy you did it. Yep, I was thinking the same thing about. I tend to like when I'm feeling sad or feeling lonely, I tend to isolate, and that's almost like the 
opposite of what you should do. Yes. And it's why our brains tell us to do the things that it's it's really like we perpetuate our own situ our own that's situation. what I mean. Sometimes you know, I feel like I'm my own worst enemy. Yeah, it's absolutely true because, you know, so this is, and I think I've shared this a little bit on here before. It's kind of like you're, you can think of like the brain as when you're born as like this, this mountain with unlimited trails to get to the top. Mm-hmm. And when you experience trauma, when you experience stress, when you experience anything, it's, it forces your brain down this very dark, like a dark, treacherous trail. But as you go down this trail, you learn like where the dangerous turns are. You learn like what to avoid. So you, you, even though that's uncomfortable and even though that may not be the best way, your brain develops these things as a child as like survival skills. Mm -hmm. And so we get used to that trail and we keep going down that trail because we're like, well, I know that that's the way up to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Even though it might not be the right thing or the best thing or the thing that, that like feels good. The other way, the unknown is far more scary for our brains. And what we have to do is we have to train our brain through something like therapy and mindfulness, or sometimes with the help of somebody else or supportive environment go, no, 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 here's the other trail and it's safe. And you can try to look at the situation this way. And it feels really uncomfortable at first and people tend to just fall back into old patterns and old habits until you train that part of your brain and until that trail becomes the one that, that is is the most you know used and most worn down and the most ingrained in the brain. But you have to almost like create new paths and they're like new neural pathways because the brain just goes, oh, well, this reminds me of this time and this is how we handled it before. So let's do that again, even mm. if it's not the right way. And it's for every single little tiny thing, maybe not some huge big stressor, but even the little stuff. And so we have to learn that sometimes what feels uncomfortable is not, it just feels uncomfortable because it's not how we've been surviving our whole life. And I saw this the other day when I was feeling really sad and I was feeling, um, uh, you know, like lonely and Landon was gone and I was just thinking about a whole bunch of stuff. And, um, I had a, a opportunity to see some kids do a dance recital for this organization that I work for, work for, where they bring, um, like low in low SES communities do these like amazing dance programs that, oh, it's so beautiful. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go. It's all, it'll be fine. Like I, I already committed, you know, no, like there aren't really anybody else from my school going. So I went and it was so beautiful and so Mm. moving. And I connected with so many people and felt like, humanity and love and connection and I cried and everybody cried and it was so sweet and the kids were so amazing and yeah I got to like see these kids that I work with you know in a in a more like clinical setting doing the things that like bring them joy and I was like okay thank you universe for giving me this lesson and I left like just like so much happier and feeling so good and Everything in my instincts said you should probably yeah. just say, you know, and I, I could have framed it any way I wanted to of like, you know what? Self-care is just like staying home and taking care of yourself. No, no, no. That was just something I was telling myself. And what real self-care was, was putting myself out there, connecting with people. And I felt better. So That is such go. a good lesson because almost everything that I would put in the category of self-care, be it exercise or eating right or meditating, or like you said, just being social, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to (laughs) do. 
Yeah. Right. But is necessary and important for me to maintain a whole uh, holistic approach to wellness. Yeah. So people mistake self-care for, I'm just going to do what I want. Right. And it's not that. No, you should do what you need. <laughs> yes. I think about this, like I, I you know, I bought um, a, you know, like daily journal for like mindfulness and gratitude. And I've only done like two days worth of it, you know? And I'm like, I don't want to do it, but I know it's what I need. Why yes. am I? That's what I should be doing with my coffee. Have a nice <laughs> cup of coffee in the That's morning. That's a good idea. Get my journal out. There. Yeah. Now I put it into the universe. I've said it to you people. Now I have to be accountable. Another aspect of wellness that you should not forget is vitamins. And most of us do. Yes. And most of us don't get the vitamins we need in our food because we're, you know, eating the stickers off the apples like Sarah. <laughs> God, <it's> so weird. <laughs> and most people aren't getting the nutrients that they need. So the, the way that you can fill in those gaps is with ritual vitamins. They're really tasty. They smell like mint. They taste like mint. They don't make you sick in your stomach. And they give you that D3 and the omega-3 and all of those things that women's diets need, but aren't always, you know, found in like our thing of chocolate that we keep by our bed. No, Mm -hmm. you know, just for example. Um, (laughs) And it's delivered right to you. (laughs) Yeah. The subscription is easy to start. It's easy to snooze. And it's a dollar a day to have all of the essentials that your body needs. Um, better health doesn't happen overnight. And right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during their first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that supports a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash brain candy. Start your ritual today. That's 10% off during the first three months at ritual.com slash brain candy. And Sarah, we have a guest today. Yay! I had a fun time interviewing Kate Quinn. She wrote a wonderful novel called The Huntress. If mm. you are in the market for a book about badass bitches, yes, as I call always. Them, then you will love this. The Huntress is a historical novel. That's what Kate uh, specializes in, and she writes about these female Russian bomber pilots. Ooh. And it is like, oh, okay. I definitely want to be a bomber pilot now. Just um, at least for the cool jacket. <laughs> I know. And like these women really existed, and they flew a gazillion times more than the men and were oh like total God. badasses. And I never even heard about them until this these, book. These are the stories that I want to hear. It's so cool. And then, you know, this is a mystery and you want to know the whole, it's like page turner. And she writes from three different points of view. So each chapter is from a different point of view and it's really fun to read. And I'm not even a fiction gal and I really liked it. Um, but I wanted to talk to Kate about her writing process, how she managed to write from three different points of view and keep it all straight and uh, why she wanted to write about these badass women. So welcome to the show, Kate Quinn. First of all, ma'am, congratulations on Huntress. How are you feeling? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mostly I'm relieved because um, I swear to God that book nearly killed me. (laughs) I was going to ask you. So I'm relieved to have it done, and I'm really, really happy that the first reactions, at least, fingers crossed, have been good. Oh, my gosh. It's fantastic. I really was wondering, though, if, like, you're nuts because... There are three <laughs> timelines, and just that alone made my head spin. Like, how did, in the heck does a person even begin to do that? Uh, well, apparently my subconscious decided after the Alice 
network that, you know, two timelines was not enough and I really needed to stretch myself. <laughs> so three timelines would be a great idea. And um, after I had this, I, after I was delving in and writing away, I told all my writer friends, if I ever had another brilliant idea like this again, I should they should chain me in the basement until, the, <laughs> until it went away. And my subconscious decided to have kinder, more useful ideas. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like at what point were you like, oh no, I'm in too deep and I just have to do this? Uh, probably at about one third. Yeah. I was thinking at that point, you know, I loved all of my people and my yeah. timelines, but I was thinking, how am I going to make this even remotely actually book length? And, um, the answer to that was a whole lot of cutting. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yes. I must have cut about 60,000 words out of this book. <gasps> and that literally was just the product of a whole lot of judicious trimming and, well, a lot of uh, just a lot of work in the editing stage. Oh, my gosh. I cannot even imagine. I mean, it is phenomenal. And for the reader, the three timelines is such a treat. But I just was thinking of you and how laborious that seemed. Um, but we're grateful that you did it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And um, I was just curious whenever, because Alice Network was obviously such a big hit. And I just wondered if that was freeing to you because now you know like you have an audience or if you felt like now the pressure's on and this is scary. What did, What were you feeling? Well, I was actually rather lucky with this book in that I had already sold it to my editor and hashed it out with them, what it was going to be about and what it was going to look like well before the Alice Network, I think, was even published. Uh, they had picked up this book already. So by the time Alice came out and then had its really unexpected boom with the Reese Witherspoon Book Club, it was this book has already you know, I was already well into writing it. Yeah. And so those voices were established. The characters were talking to me. And that was a big help. It meant that I really didn't have to second guess myself of what was I going to write next. I already knew. So um, I will say that was uh, really quite useful. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, because do you think that that would have changed the way you approached it? Yeah, I probably would have been more nervous. Absolutely. Really? So it doesn't make well, you feel more confident and like, okay, everyone loves me, so it's fine. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, it would, if anything, it just makes you think, I have to make this book even better. And Aww. I already had that uh, reaction pretty much to any book I write is whatever I write next, I feel has to be better in some way. It has to stretch me. It has to do something. Right. So this probably just would have added a little, even a little bit more attention <laughs> right. uh, to that particular feeling. Whenever you decided to do this, was it your intention? Like, is your thing badass women? Is that like your <laughs> thing or is that just coincidence that both books have these awesome characters in that way? No, that's what I look for. Um, it's uh, my joke and really it's not even exactly a joke is that I look for the kind of women who historically speaking are so involved in something so cool and so you know, gobsmackingly great that you can imagine them, you know, striding along in slow motion in front of an explosion in a, in a movie trailer with Sia's Unstoppable playing in the background. <laughs> you know, I that's mean, the kind true. of feeling I want to have when I read about them. And that's the kind of thing, the kind of person I want to find when for when I'm looking for a new heroine. Well, so how did you discover that the Russians really did have these all-female bomber groups 
Well, that was uh, some lucky reading I had done some years ago, and I had already known a little bit about it and really thought that was quite cool. Yeah. And then I had had the idea for this book, you know, that I wanted to have the hunt for a Nazi war criminal going on from both ends of the hunt, as it were. On one end, you have the people who are looking for someone and they have no idea where she is. And on the other end, you have people who know someone who they have no idea what her background is. Mm -hmm. And then as those hunts progress toward each other, you know, they get closer and closer to the finish. And I liked that story a lot, but I thought it needed something more. It needed one more element and I wasn't sure what. And for some reason, I, you know, the night witches clicked back into my head and I thought, that's it. I could, if I can find a way to jigsaw those pieces together... I've really got something here. And um, after quite a lot of jigsaw work, I managed to find (laughs) a way to make those stories sort of all braid together. Well, and how did you, I mean, when you're approaching this idea of like Nazi hunting, for for lack of a better term, um, how do you go about learning this is what actually happened and then applying it to your story? Well, fortunately, there are quite a number of really wonderful books as about uh, war crimes investigation teams and the process that they went through, the ways they were different, the ways they were similar. And I really relied on those. There were some wonderful sources. And not only that, but there are also a lot of trial records mm. that have been carefully kept from when various um, criminals were put on trial. So we have testimony from their own mouths. We have paperwork. And if there was anything I really learned was that you know, Nazi hunting sounds very, very glamorous, very Hollywood, very high speed and exciting. But really what it was, it was a lot of legwork. It was a lot of paperwork and, you know, paperwork lasts. That's mm. the thing about it. So fortunately, there was quite a lot of source material as far as records I could look at and a lot of interest in newspapers and so forth about the people who were found. <clears throat> and um, that was really what I looked at when I was trying to craft that part of the story. Well, at the end in your author's notes, you talk about how, you know, oftentimes they wouldn't like the, they wouldn't always be even put to trial because of apathy and all kinds of other things. I found that so shocking. I thought everyone was in agreement that if we found these people, they should be, you know, put on trial. Well, there really wasn't. And, um, you know, we tend to also have the idea that, you know, Nuremberg was the big clean sweep. You know, everybody who was guilty was put on trial. And that is not the case. I mean, there just simply wasn't the manpower or the money or the time for that kind of undertaking. I mean, there is one case which I find just, you know, horrendously ironic where one of the trials, the question of how many they, how many of the guilty of the Einsatzgruppen killers they could put on trial, it was we have twenty two spots in the defendant's bench. <gasps> no, which twenty two? So which twenty two names are you going to pick? You're kidding. Oh, that's no. It's it's been documented. So literally twenty two names went on trial, and then what about <sighs> the rest of them? You know, a lot of them went home. That's all there is to it. They went home, and then they might be tracked down later. But maybe they wouldn't be because that all depends, again, on who's willing to do the tracking. So that's part of it was just simply it was such a huge job. You know, once they had caught the big fish and not even all the big fish, it took decades for some of the big fish like, you know, for example, um, Adolf Eichmann to be found. 
since a lot of them had fled. But once they had caught a number of the big fish, uh, who caught all the little people? I mean, there were a lot of little people involved in the horrors of the Holocaust and in the Final Solution and in other situations such as the murder of unarmed airmen who had been downed behind enemy lines. People were involved in this, but there were so many little people and there wasn't the manpower to hunt them all down or to find them or even the interest in putting them to trial because by this point, not only is the world completely exhausted by war and they want to put it behind them and they don't want to have anything to do with it anymore but also at this point people are starting to be worried about the soviet union instead and there became this idea that like why are you still talking about nazis you know the third reich is done we need to be worried about the soviet union now Mm. so all of these factors came into play when it came to immediately post-war the hunt for war criminals now once a few decades had passed you started to get to the 70s and 80s that was when you know the soviet union was on the decline and also i think there was the sense too that people started to realize that a lot of the witnesses and a lot of the you know defendants were also aging from world war ii and so we needed to try to address the situation of bringing them to justice sooner rather than later. But in the period immediately after the war was done, you really saw apathy after just a few years and after the Nuremberg trials were finished. Wow. Which in themselves dragged out a few years. That is shocking information. And I really wouldn't have known if you hadn't uh, written about that at the end there. Um, Whenever you were doing your research for the book, were the, do you, was anything standing out to you in terms of like you found this really cool fact or something that you didn't know and you just had to include it? Most of the things about the Night Witches really fell into that particular category because I ran across a really wonderful book that was put together, which was, a, I think in the 90s, a series of interviews with the surviving uh, women who had been part of these all-female regiments of flyers and really a startling number of them had survived to be quite old and so these are their stories in their own words in their own voices and so many of the things that i ended up putting into the book were things that i drew from their real narrative which were astonishing to me because they were so matter of fact and so low key as they <laughs> described the most jaw dropping things like, you know, oh, you know, going for three years on about four hours of sleep per night because their bombing runs were so onerous or the fact that they were, you know, popping stimulants to keep awake. And even that wasn't enough to keep them awake on bombing regiments. So they used to trade the navigator and the pilot used to trade uh, trade nap times to and from the bombings. You know, oh one would God. sleep on the way there and the other would fly the plane and then on the way back the other one would sleep and then the other would fly the plane because they knew it was better to, you know, get cat naps in the air at wow. nighttime in an open cockpit plane than to risk falling asleep. Oh my God. That is <laughs> or crazy. The fact that, or the fact that they describe, you know, climbing out on the wing of a plane midair to lay down along the wing and push off a bomb that it got stuck on the bombing rack below. You know, oh that was God. described too. And I was looking at that and just like, you women are all crazy. <laughs> You're right. all completely crazy. But, you know, I, my God, I respect you and I respect the hell out of you. So I've got to write about this as soon as I can. <laughs> and they were kind of acting like it was no big deal. 
Yeah, yeah, they were oh completely matter-of-fact. And it was wonderful to see the pictures of them in this particular book because it was, you know, you'd see the pictures of these young women in their flight overalls and their big smiles, so young. And then you'd see mm. the picture of the babushka in her eighties, you know, who has the cardigan and the sensible hair and, you know, like a hero of the Soviet union Mm. star pinned on her, you know, on her cardigan collar. (laughs) Wow. And it was just, you know, wonderful juxtaposition. What a cool story. And there was a point in the book where the, the woman was saying she had gone on hundreds of these bombing runs and the the males had only they were only to do a few and was that accurate where there's like a huge difference between what the women were doing and what the men were doing yeah there's no doubt about it that the women were very very driven to uh, improve their record at any cost and um it was true that the men used to tell them it's like you know you better slow down you're you know the more you fly the less the less likely it is you're going to live and you know they weren't wrong there they had a lot of casualties but the women were very very fierce about their record and persistent that they probably that they had to be perfect you know to be able to be allowed to what, do what they did so they developed a sort of conveyor belt you know, refueling routine that meant they could get a plane on the ground, rearmed, refueled, and back in the air in less than 10 minutes. Wow. And that meant that they could really improve their flying time. You know, their pilots were literally taking their dinners in the cockpit in that 10 minutes before they could go back in the air. You know, they weren't stopping for meals. They weren't stopping for anything. So that meant that their records were better, um, comparatively speaking, than any other of the comparable night bomber regiments. Wow. They are badasses. Yeah, they really work. That's amazing. Um, One of the characters in the book, Jordan, um, she's a badass in her own way. Um, And I was kind of thinking about how she had some suspicions about things going on in her life. And, you know, she, she was always conflicted about whether to trust her gut or to, you know, say that maybe she just has a crazy imagination. And I think that a lot of women have that same back and forth, maybe internal monologue. And I'm wondering, you know, what it was like to write that and what what made you play it like that? Well, I had a delicate sort of tightrope to walk with her because she's... Jordan, my American heroine, is living with, side by side with a woman, her new German stepmother, who she has some suspicions about. And... Uh, No spoilers. I mean, whether she's the guilty one or not, but definitely this is a woman who has some secrets. And it was the tightrope there of I didn't want people to think Jordan was stupid for not seeing the what, you know, the readers might think of as being the obvious. But at the same time, nothing is obvious when in a life when you're living it. And Mm. so it became a balance between having her be smart and observant about what are the things that seem to be off in this situation And though, what are the realities of what happens when you really try to apply common sense to what you see in front of you and say, well, what's more likely? Is it more likely that someone is, you know, an evil war criminal or is it more likely that they have secrets, but that they're of a more mundane variety? Occam's razor usually says it's more likely that something is the simpler explanation rather than the wild explanation. Yeah. And it is true that women quite often do have that back and forth in their head of, 
you know, it's like when you know, people saying, well, women have a wild, have a, women are fanciful. They have a wild mm-hmm. imagination. They have, they make things up. You know, we all have that in our heads too and try to fight against it. Well, I just love that. And I love that, you know, she was reasonable, but then she never sort of let somebody tell her what to believe. And I thought that was really cool. And then I also loved how, I don't know if this is how you see it, but like, I think Jordan found her superpowers kind of, and for some people that might be, you know, being a bomber and for other people, it might be taking beautiful pictures like Jordan did throughout the book. And I just kind of thought that was a cool message that you, everybody has a superpower and it might be less exciting than somebody else's, but it's still super. I like that Yeah, that that was the idea. And (laughs) partly speaking, Jordan was in one part supposed to be sort of the ordinary girl Friday as opposed to my other heroine who is, you know, a night bomber pilot with the nickname (laughs) of a night witch. You know, you just can't get more, you know, out more superhero than that. You really can't. So Jordan had to be the girl that, you know, most readers could empathize with a little more in the sense that they could see themselves in her. She's the bright, interested high school girl, with an imagination who is struggling like many girls do today and certainly back in the late 1940s to balance the expectations of her family with her own desires for an independent life and career. I I think she's so cool. Yeah, so it's the idea that, you know, certainly these struggles keep going on for women now and there's certainly an even bigger problem in the, you know, white picket fence post-war suburban America. So I I wanted to explore some problems that were a little bit more relatable for the average reader as well as giving them, you know, a sort of badass like my night witch heroine who is whose daily problems are something like, can I manage 13 bombing runs in sub-zero weather on <laughs> three cups of coffee, which the average person, you know, can admire, but perhaps not empathize with in terms of our own experience. Right. I just, I think that's such a cool balance though between the extremes in that way. I just thought they were great. Um, and then I was wondering about the audiobook version because I have since learned that the, your uh, audiobooks people go crazy for. And I didn't know that because I always just read the hard copy. First of all, do you have, do you listen to yours um, in the audio format? Uh, I don't listen to my own books in audio. Um just simply because it almost makes me self-conscious, you know, it's, 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 it's weird, you know, it's, it's just strange to see it, you know, unrolling like a movie in someone else's voice, but I have listened to quite a few clips here and there. Okay. Um, because frankly, uh, for the Alice Network, uh, my narrator, Saskia Marleveld, did such a wonderful job. She was just so great. And, um, she actually was nominated for best female, um, best female narrator for a novel for 2008 or 2018, I think. No, it might have been 2017. I'm sorry. I forget. But anyway, that's basically the equivalent of the audience are the equivalent of the Oscars, but for wow. audiobooks. So that was a really great thing. And I'm really delighted that uh, Saskia is also going to be narrating uh, The Huntress and actually I think has already completed her narration work on that. 
That is so cool. I know cool. She, will do a, she will do a great job on that. And the minute I had this book done and people started talking audio, I was emailing Saskia and asking her, how's your Russian accent? Please tell me you can do one. <laughs> right. And she said, my Russian accent is terrific, and I hope I can do your next book. And she said, I will beg for you <laughs> if you have any room in your schedule. Unfortunately, she did. Wow. And is that typical that the author can maybe weigh in about who should do it? Um, I didn't choose Saskia originally. I didn't know her, but I think I, I'm trying to uh, stretch back. For the Alice Network, they sent me a couple of different audio clips, one for her and one for the other narrator who was a possibility. And they asked if I had any input about which one I liked better, and I liked her voice better. The other one was also wonderful, but I just liked Saskia's voice. So I said, hey, if we can grab her, I'd love that. And that turned out to be fine. And then I actually met Saskia at a event in New York City where we did a nice panel together about, you know, how to do a book and how to how me from the writing end, her from the audio end. And she was delightful. So oh, we cool. kept in touch after that. And then by the time I had the Huntress done, I was I was um, very insistent and I weighed in as soon as I could about like, please, let's get her back if at all possible. Do you ever I know worry the that... audio makes a difference a lot? To yeah. People. And people like just went so bananas for Alice Network and the audio format. So I was just curious about it. And I wonder like if I were the author, whether I would be fearful that the narrator would read it differently than I wrote it, intonation or whatever. Does that cross your mind or you just trust the process? Um, you worry about getting a bad narrator. I mean, just yeah. one that's not very good. But when it comes, if I have a good narrator, I trust them. And yeah. it comes down to, of course, they're going to make some different choices, maybe that I would. But, you know, on the other hand, I'm not an actress. So mm. I know that the choices she makes to bring a book to life are probably going to be better than the ones I would make <laughs> if they asked me to read my own book aloud. Uh. So I'm willing to, you know, you know, trust her with the process and trust her own process and um, see what happens. That's so cool. Um and are you the kind of gal that'll rest on your laurels or are you like just diving into the next thing? I am diving into the next thing. I mean, I'm getting ready for the release of The Huntress, but I'm also um, quite deep into a new book, at least the opening stages of it, and have a whole lot of research. And um, I'm looking forward to getting back to that as soon as I'm done with some um, promo stuff. Is there a stage of the process from, you know, inception to conception to like the uh promotion of the thing that's your favorite i like the stage when i'm just rough draft when i'm uh, doing my first draft and um drafting along and hmm. enjoying the process without needing to worry yet about how long it's getting or how it's you know any plotting process you know hopefully if it's going smoothly i enjoy that part and i enjoy um I do enjoy the first stages of editing when I'm sort of smoothing my own stuff out because that's not as terrifying as a blank page. <laughs> you just have right. pages you need to smooth out and, you know, hone and polish. And that's fun, too. But, you know, deep editing stage can be scary, especially if you realize there are big problems that you need to fix. And there almost always are because nobody's perfect. And... Um, <laughs> The initial stage when I'm trying to research and sort of bash a project together to try to make it fit into an actual story and not just sort of a vague collection of ideas that might be interesting, uh, that also can be a little on the hair-raising side. Yeah. But I do like drafting. And I first stage drafting when it's flowing smooth, and I do like uh, first stage editing. Right. So maybe like the most creative elements are the most fun 
and the least businessy, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and there is a lot of business about being a writer. Just the, the you know promo stuff and um, all kinds of you know the technical things about bringing a book out. And I'm very grateful that this job I have. I never will stop being grateful. It's a wonderful job, but it's not to say that it's all you know just you know sitting in a cozy bustling little cafe in my black turtleneck waiting for the muse to strike and you know sipping my perfect latte and you know it's all looks like you know something in a movie because it definitely it's a lot of hair tearing in there too from time to time well we're grateful that you do it and the book is tremendous and i hope you get nothing but rave reviews and everybody just doting praise upon you <laughs> well, I hope so too. Uh, although, you know, that's never the case. Everybody uh, will, every book will have naysayers and everybody's in, everybody's entitled to their opinion of whatever they read. So if they don't like it, I hope they will be kind and move on to something else <laughs> that they do like better. And if they do like it, I hope they will write me a nice review. <laughs> and I then, think... you know, hopefully buy five copies for all their friends and family for Christmas. <laughs> and I'm not worried. I know that our listeners are going to love it and I loved it. So congratulations on another wonderful book. No, thank you very much. You're off the hook. Thank you. I'm so excited for you, and I can't wait to hear what everyone thinks. <sighs> well, me too. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm kind sure. of in the six-week stage down to the release, so it's starting to feel very close and very scary at I this know, point. But, you know, I, I keep sympathize, going. <laughs> but it's awesome, and you should be really proud. Well, thank you very much, and I'm really glad we could do the uh, podcast today. Yay. I'll send the link when it's up. Thank you so much, Kate. All right. Thank you. Have Bye, a great Kate. day. You too. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. 